is short-term performance marketing crushing creativity. On this week's episode of the Life and Digital podcast, Ed Steer caught up with Matthew Newcomb, CEO of InSkin Media, the global leader in delivering unmissable and unforgettable digital advertising campaigns for brands. Throughout this episode, Matthew talks to Ed about how InSkin's platform generates greater attention online for their clients, the role of creativity in effective brand campaigns and driving sales, as well as the future of the advertising space online for consumers. I hope you will enjoy. Welcome to the Life in Digital podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Matthew Newcomb from InSkin. Matthew, thanks so much for um, for joining us. And it would be um, it'd be great if we could just jump in if you could introduce yourself and um, and InSkin to us. Yeah, so so two minutes. So I'm the um, I'm the CEO of InSkin. Um, I've been with the business for six or seven years now. Um, I started our business down in Sydney. That's where I joined the company. Um, quite did literally you, on the sort of. Did you launch to launch? Did you join to launch the Australian outfit? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so quite literally, sort of launching the business from the kitchen table. So, there's, a li- there's almost a little bit of uh, I've, I've been here before in the not too sort of um, recent past. But yeah, so, that's yeah, true. You know, sold the first campaign, brought on the first publisher. You know, all those kinds of things, um, and built you know built the business with a bunch of other people to uh, a business that's now about a dozen people down in Sydney. So we've got got a got a great business and and had a good time. And then came came back to London three years ago um, and did a couple of jobs for the business and, and then started as CEO last January. So great stuff. And, and can you just briefly tell us a bit about InSkin for those who aren't familiar with the with the with the organization? Yeah, sure. So um, we're in the business of generating attention for advertisers really. So um, we we build and distribute high impact um, digital formats for brand advertisers. I say the, the the purpose really is to generate attention and, and the reason for that is quite simple that um, Unless you generate attention, you know consumers will take no action or, or and won't listen to your message. So that's kind of what we are, what we're focused on. Um, we're a, we're a, a niche business, really. We work with um, what would once have been described as kind of premium publishers, but publishers that create and curate their own their own content brands that you would know. Um, we are very much in the business of building quality creative, and we'd like to think we're a, a market leader amongst that. Um, and um, that's the summary, I think. Yeah, great. And I'll just jump, just sort of leading on that. So creativity and context and attention is, is is really, really back on the agenda. Um, what what do you think creates attention online? I, I mean, there's a ra- there's a range of different things. I mean, so I'm just sort of speaking from an in-skin perspective for a minute. And a lot of this has come out of work that we've done with Lumen, who you may have come across, you know, they're a... Um, technology company that, that measure attention and they're one of two or three sort of leaders in their field and, and, and certainly the, 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 the leading uh, attention measurement provider in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it comes down to sort of a few different things. Um, in digital, some of it comes down to format size. Quite, quite simply, there's an element of um, larger formats have got a greater chance of, gather, of, of gaining attention. So yeah, um, there's that as kind of a factor. Um, the second thing is is around creativity and what you can do uh, both with the creative idea, you know, as it was kind of originally envisaged by the by the creative agency, and using creative devices within the execution to to get people's attention and the sorts of things you can see in digital, you know, would be around you know the sun shining or rain coming down or you know, sort of I say gentle movement um, uh, creates opportunities to re-engage consumers. Yeah. 
know, on more than one occasion. So there's a bit of that. Um, there's the context piece. So where, where the ads are running and, and that means you know, context exists on a few different levels. It's you know, where you are, the sentiment of the page, the content of the page, the title itself and so on. But, but broadly speaking, um, say so yeah, context, as you say, context is kind of on its way back this year and no doubt we'll sort of come back to that. So creativity, context, format size are, are very much the drivers of attention. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and um, before, because I want to kind of go back to kind of um, just the, the, the last few years, because I think it's been such an interesting time for ad tech and there's been, um, you know, it feels like the, the sector um, feels really resurgent actually um, at the moment. And I think perhaps that's kind of like, um, there's a lot of good sentiment out there and, and, and trading conditions are good. And you know, comparing back versus this time last year, there's so much to be positive about. But if you look at like, the last few years in ad tech, what, what do you think has been linked to changes that have been forced by, I don't know, the, the, no, the coronavirus and the different situation the world's been in versus shifts in um, ad tech and what publishers want and consumers want and advertisers want and, and that are very much kind of here to here to last? Um, I mean, the market is always moving with digital. That's the, uh, that, that's the piece that has to be always something every year and you know whether it was sort of viewability or attention or you know the imminent demise of cookies there's, there's kind of always something that's developing it and driving it forward yeah um, which is great um i think what the pandemic did was it was it really just kind of supercharged stuff that was going on structurally in any case so mm. e-commerce was happening anyway just mm. kind of got accelerated um and you know, just the shift to digital, in fact, has, has been has been accelerated by the pandemic itself. But it didn't, you know, the underlying trajectory was clearly already there. It was happening, yeah. The last 20 years, you know, so, you know, no doubt about that. Um, I think we are not so far away from a world where everything will be digital and to a greater or lesser extent, everything will be kind of data driven. I mean, that's, that's where we're going to end up. So we're going to see more of it, you know, over, over the coming years. Um, the difficulty i think within it is the big continue to get bigger yes um, and the independence have now got to, to get bigger i think uh, ad tech does feel like it's had a bit of a resurgence it does feel like there's a bit more money around mm. um the valuations around businesses like you know like the trade desk for example have been good but we've seen lots of business uh, businesses either raise money um or sell um i mean what's been happening with you know triple lift and so on it's it's quite buoyant um at the moment or certainly you know a lot more positive than um, than it has been yeah yeah and 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 um much of this i guess is the the, the cookie-less um the cookie-less future as everyone's kind of prepared for what, what's your view on what a cookie-less future is gonna gonna look like and be like um I mean, it's pretty challenging, to be honest. I think um, I think lots of people are still trying to get their head around it. The good thing is there's been lots of useful commentary around uh, about it, I think. And I just just before I get into it, I just want to sort of reference something that um, a friend of mine, Matthew Goldhill from Picnic, wrote, which is a, a really pretty healthy summary for anyone who really just needs to get their head around it. You can find it on their website. Yeah. But, um, I mean, he sort of call, called out a few things. Firstly, when cookies go on Chrome, Part of the problem is the alternatives just aren't that great and they are somewhat limited. I mean, so you've got a number of different things happening. There is um, an alternative to identity um, being pulled together largely under the auspices of the trade desk and, and pre-bid called Unified ID 2.0. Mm -hmm. The difficulty with that is it's quite US centric. They don't think you're going to have global coverage by any stretch um, in the way that you do with the current kind of cookies set up. 
Um, and Google have said that it's not going to work in Chrome. So it's a bit of a solution, but it's certainly not sort of the whole solution. Yeah. Um, you've got Google's flock product. So you know, groups of people that can be targeted um, somewhat in the way that we sort of do today. Um, but they've also acknowledged that that is probably not at the moment GDPR compliant. So, um, and just, I think just in general, the, the difficulty for these solutions is that they are still really trying to, in some way, shape or form, track and process personal data that runs very much kind of counter to what you know, GDPR was about. So it is quite challenging. Um, in terms of sort of practical steps, um, I think there were, you know, there were a number of things to do. If you're a publisher, build, build out whatever first party data you can, because that's not going to be affected by that. And that is going to have a lot of value for you in the future. Yes. So that's number one. As an advertiser, um, creativity is has always been called out as sort of the number one driver of campaign sales uplift. And so I think digital's got a long way to go on, on creativity. Um, it is not nearly as creative as it could be, you know. Um, and and so really sort of putting some emphasis into that, um, I think is it is is pretty material and, and pretty important. Um, the third thing I think I'd say is that just got to follow, got to follow what Google and Facebook are doing um, because, and, you know, what, what Prebid are doing, what the bigger players are doing, because most of us are too small to be able to, you know, move the industry narrative. So just, just following very closely what's happening, I think is important. And then finally, and maybe, maybe the sort of the most interesting thing is the, the opportunity to see a bit of a resurgence in contextual advertising. So there's a, there's a bit of, you know, back to the future in all this because that's that's the way that advertising ran when when I first started doing it um but um it's that is a big that that's kind of a big positive and it'll be a big positive I think for sort of quality publishers who, who decides when 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 cookies go who, who kind of makes that decision and also I'm guessing it's very different in terms of region and geography and well I mean sort of I mean yes and no I mean sort of within within the browsers at the moment most of them have got rid of cookies so um, if you're using you know safari for example mm -hmm. then you know there, there is no cookie tracking of individuals um, so it's really down to this is really down to google and we don't exactly know when it's going to happen um, mm. i think it's probably fair to say that with you know a lot of the developments of the last couple of years around gdpr and consent management platform implementation and compliance that the first date has been pushed back to a second date but the second date might only be a few months later so I wouldn't be at all surprised if we end up you know mid next year um, so perhaps a year down the track from now but we wait to hear what Google wants to do yes yeah and they change things fairly regularly as well Yes, yeah, so and usually without a great deal of warning or warning, yeah, consultation. So <laughs> on the search side of things and opportunities, these these situations always always throw up opportunities too. If you're a publisher and advertiser, what what do you think of the the opportunities that are created by the next generation of ad tech? Well, certainly, I mean, you know, context is going to um, context is going to be sort of flavor of the month, flavor of the month. Excuse me, um, you know, over the, over the next couple of years um, and. So for businesses that have, have kind of really got into that over the last couple of years, um, you know, like Grape Shop, for example, you know, yeah. um, 
you know, and and others, there's there's going to be real real opportunity because there will be a lack of other sort of targeting opportunities. So, um, you know, sort of providers of um, contextual tools, um, you know, Silver Bullet and others, I think will will do pretty well. There aren't so many independent contextual providers, so you would think that if you're in the business of context and you've got a fair way down the road, you might look quite attractive to the ad tech market um, over the over the next couple of years. I was just thinking back to 10 years ago, just having all the conversations about contextual and it was vibrant and context web and grape shot. And it was a really, you know, it was a really, it was a really hot topic. It's, 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 it's amazing how tech, uh, ad tech and tech in general, you know, there's always, there's always the next thing. And it's, it's, it's cool to see old themes return. And actually the, the brilliant thing, I guess, is kind of the first, first rather for creativity. Um, what do you think the opportunities like for creativity now with, you know, mobile connected TV, is, is, is the canvas there? Is the platform there to deliver really nice creative in a, in a digital environment? I mean, there are there are so many great uh, canvases and platforms uh, that exist within digital um, that probably still aren't being taken full advantage of. That um, I'd like to think that this will be galvanising, you know, in, in, around kind of creativity. That there's no doubt that investment in long term brand building uh, with with smart, clever, consistent, creative ideas drive businesses. Um, there's been plenty of work to sort of demonstrate what an impact it has on, you know, on sales. Um, you know, the, the best sort of long-term creative work um, will drive sales by a sort of factor of anywhere between sort of eight and 16x. So, and yet so much marketing at the moment, so much digital marketing is short-term performance-based. And I get that. I mean, people have got to report to shareholders. They need sales today rather than the hope of sales tomorrow. Um, so I do understand it, but it would if it feels like that should be reset a bit. If you listen, if you listen to people in marketing who know what they're talking about, and I'll you know, cite, cite Mark Ritson for a second. Yeah. You know, the balance between short-term activation and long-term brand building is not where it should be. Um, and, you know, he would say that sort of short term performance marketing crushes creativity. Um, and I think that's right. I mean, I was I was sort of lucky enough to you know, grow up in an era where, you know, the Levi's ad or the Guinness ad or the Economist ad was really sort of kind of cultural moments or defining moments. And um, we just don't see as much of that as, as we should, I think. Yeah, um, so true. And what advertising meant. I mean, when we looked through the slogans and at Christmas every year, there's a quiz of, do you remember this advertising campaign in our family quiz? And I always love, <laughs> you know, reflecting back on it, but those really famous campaigns, um, yeah, I, I, you remember them, you remember them so well. It's also, I think, a sense of, um, they're conflicting objectives, aren't they? So if I imagine you've got, a, you know, a, a, a media planner who's got a very DR-focused objective based on um, delivering a certain number of sales and, the creative agency looking to build a beautiful creative, there's a bit of a conflict in terms of what, what outcomes people are trying to achieve, just purely from how they see, see the same situation. What, what, what do you think needs to happen to enable brilliant creativity and more of that investment going into the longer term branding versus the versus that we need a that we need to sell X number of units? It's quite a challenging question because we've just come out of a period or we're coming out of a period mm. where everyone has been incredibly short-term focused about what they need to do to get through the pandemic. You know, I, I, can't, I can't sit here and tell you, Ed, that you know, people shouldn't be doing that. They should be thinking long-term because actually we've all needed to just kind of get through. 
but I do think there is an opportunity for, I think marketing has, has in some businesses lost a bit of currency um, and the consequence of that has often played out as CMO tenures have been very short. And it's quite difficult to build a long-term communication strategy if things are very short-term focused and there's a lot of kind of turnover, you know, at the top. So I don't think the seriously getting on disputing that sort of creativity was important, but it is trying to find a way to get some consistency around it and for marketing to convince principally their finance teams that investing in brand building is worthwhile. And I think that at times it's been hard to demonstrate that or, you know, and so work that goes on to demonstrate the impact that brand building has, has got a lot of value in that conversation. And, and some of that is, is really around generating attention and the impact that attention has on brand uplift, brand recall, and ultimately on things that consumers do, because I don't think finance teams have any issue spending money on marketing if they're really confident that there's a return for that sort of investment. And whether it's long-term or short-term is almost immaterial to them. Uh, I think it's how, how do marketeers persuade their finance teams to, to, to keep making that, that investment? That I think is the challenge. Yeah, and I guess the great thing is um, the shift to digital has happened. So the, the investment into digital platforms is, um, is, is a trend which is going to continue and continue on. It's just where and how that money is invested. Do you think marketers now see online as an environment where they can build their brand as well as drive sales? Sorry, I know it's a very leading question. <laughs> yes, of course, I do. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I think that's right. But what's been a really positive development over the last sort of year or so really is around measurement because, I mean, I mean, I, gosh, I remember five years ago talking to someone or probably longer saying that, you know, click-through rates are a terrible proxy for, for performance of a brand campaign. I mean, it yeah. just, just makes no sense whatsoever. And yet only a few months ago, we were sort of still having the sort of the, the same conversation. Um, and so what's been really good about the rise of businesses like Lumen and Adelaide Lift and, and others is around that opportunity to measure attention because you can then start to measure things that matter rather than just things that you can measure. If yes. You know, digital has always been very good at measurement, but what it's been measuring hasn't always been terribly useful, certainly not in the context of looking at long-term brand building activity. Very yeah. good for sure, short-term performance marketing. Um, so, so from that perspective, attention measurement really is, you know, sort of, I don't want to say it's the, the missing piece, you know, because there are other things too, but certainly it's, I think it's a, it's a really helpful piece of measurement to give advertisers confidence that the money they're investing in brand building um, is money well spent because it's cutting through to use sort of old vocabulary um, and, and gaining consumers' attention in a world where, you know, your average consumer is getting bombarded with three to five to 7,000 ads a day. And, and we have no more attention. We have no more capacity to take on ads than we did, you know, 10 years ago. So, yeah, well, that's it. It's, it's, it's grabbing the attention, is it? Because I think people will be in different buying cycles at different moments. But if I'm buying, I'm probably relaxing at home. But if I'm relaxing at home, I'm probably watching at least two screens because my attention span is rubbish and you just you know you just don't you don't see it so you, we've just i think it's mobile devices isn't it the way we consume content is just so it's just so it's so different 
with measuring attention, what tools do you then recommend a part of a media buy? And uh, sort of coming from a kind of a, a, a lack of knowledge, so you, you have, you know, the InSkin platform then, do you have um, something that measures attention, something that measures brand safety? What, what, what do you think are kind of the, the tools that publishers and, buy and, and you know, agencies can access to, to have a really effective um, campaign from a delivery and measurement and effectiveness sort of point of view? So, and we have a partnership with Lumen. Um, and so as a, you know, external third party, um, and as an external sort of, you know, um, independent, um, you know, verifier, if you like, of kind of what we're doing, um, so all our campaigns have um, attention measurement uh, built on them um, using using Lumen tools that have been have been sort of built for us. And as I say, that's that's kind of a big part of making sure that advertisers can feel confident that the money they're spending is is generating the results that they intended it to. Mm-hmm. Um, it is quite material. I mean, there's there's probably two things to it. I think if if Mike Follett from Lumen was here, he would he would say that. It's great that InSkin are doing it. It'll be even greater when all your digital activity is getting measured in the same way because you can then make kind of comparisons between, you know, different formats and different channels that are a little bit more meaningful. And and, and we're very much moving into that sort of environment. In fact, we're running a pilot with them to to understand more of that. Um, But that's the the key thing. It's just around adoption now and ideally adoption of just kind of one or or two businesses as the single currency that can be used to compare different publishers, different formats, different different contexts. So that's really interesting, actually. I remember when when brand safety really um, took off eight, nine years ago, when, when once advertisers, publishers, know what to measure from an effectiveness point of view the, the industry seems to kind of you know pull pull together and those measurements do do come into place so it's, it's interesting here that effectiveness is going to become you no know, that, that that's a journey that feels like a direction of travel to me um, yeah I, th- you know, I think that's right this year it's really landed ed i think would be would be sort of fair to say that this has been a couple of years building um but almost every major holding group is interested in attention now um I think most of the bigger, and when I say bigger, I mean sort of FTSE or Fortune 500 sort of size advertisers um, are either experimenting with it or trying to learn more about it or sort of buying into it. Um, so I think this year is going to be really sort of quite changing. And you sort of see that manifest itself in some respects by this year's Madfest is going to have a big sort of attention component to it. So um, I'm looking forward to that because that's supposed to be the first physical in-person event that we've had for well, really a very long time. And yeah, we can start placing bets, but it's probably a bad use of time. <laughs> did, did, did you do no, it? It's though? definitely going ahead. So, um, but yeah, as so I think where, you know, Dentsu have just come out with a big piece about the attention economy. Uh, publicists have a lot of interest in, in attention. I mean, as I say, most of the holding companies do. So um, I feel that this year is really getting momentum. So over the next couple of years, I think we'll, we'll see attention become measured in the way that, you know, yeah, viewability or brand safety or click-through rate or, you know, all sorts of other things um, do. And I think that'll really add something for, particularly for for brand advertisers. Looking at the consumer experience online, publishers, advertisers, what, what do you think people are really looking for from an advertising experience online and indeed an online experience in in, you know, in today's, today's world? Well, there's there's... A very interesting IAB Europe 
um, report that's just come out. And what it really says is that consumers do actually want a free internet, um, that they're willing to um, have that um, in a sort of kind of ad funded, supported model. Um, I'm not sure that was terribly eloquently expressed, but a sort of an ad funded free internet um, yeah. is what the majority of people want. And if they were asked to pay for the internet, um, they would probably dial down they, their, their usage. I mean, it's kind of the long and the short. Um, so I think, I think sort of if you're, yeah, if you're in the media business, it's worth taking a look because a lot of what we tend to hear about is sort of the negatives. So, you know, there was a lot of coverage about ad blocking for a while. And I mean, there is some suggestion that ad blocking has been on the decline in the UK over the last three years, which you know, for the marketing industry is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a positive thing. That's great. Um, I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, if, if we want free independent journalism, uh, if we want publishers to survive, then we need to have either an ad funded or subscription funded or both kind of model. Um, and the reality is, is there are only about 25 global publishers who between them have got sort of subscribers that top sort of 20 million. So in, in a kind of a global world, that's just clearly just not really sustainable. You know, the value that journalism adds through doing one of a couple of things, either sort of you know, shining a light on things that need to be seen by the population, holding business or government or individuals to account is a role that we will very much rue losing if it kind of gets lost. And that is kind of journalism sort of at its, you know, kind of at its best. Yeah, pro pro proper investigative So I was just going to say equally, there's so much content that is great to consume, to, to entertain or to learn or to inform, all of which, again, has to be funded by something. So there's so much, I think, that we lose if we're not willing to sort of support an ad-funded model. So it's actually really encouraging to see that that's what most consumers want. When we have new starters at Sphere who haven't worked in media, we kind of have a session called the Media Landscape, and then we run through, you know, one of the things is ad tech and how it works. And then I always say, um, you know, what what would you prefer to do? Pay pay, pay for pay for the internet, or, or or understand that if you want to consume it for free, the cost is that we'll be served some ads. And actually, the more creative and the more targeted they are, the more enriching that is for for all of us. And you you, you very rarely when people understand. A bit more information about how an ad-funded internet works. Find people who say, "No, I really, I really would only want to to to, to pay for that service." So there's a big education piece, isn't there, on on what's really happening and what privacy really involves and what it means. I have no idea how you do that globally, but but yeah, there's, there's no. But you're right. There is still a big education job to do um, because it's easy for us to talk about a handful of markets in in Europe as consumers understand it and, con and consumers want a free internet, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, you know, the world's a good place, right? So, um, I mean, there's, yeah, there's a, lot, there's a long way to go on that. But it, but it is encouraging. And, and it's, it's encouraging that people are lining up behind the idea of, like, the open, the open web, if you see what I mean, led by businesses like Index Exchange and the Trade Desk and so on. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, who, who are very successful as businesses. Um, so that, that sort of thing is, is, is really going to help this kind of general cause. And um, coming on to the future, you mentioned Madfest, but um, can next year? What are the what are the hot topics? You know what? I've, I mean, I 
I've never been to Cannes actually yet. I mean, I was I was in Australia really um, for for a long period and always thought that Cannes looked like a lot of fun and that at some point I should get to go and and of course that's that's not happened you know and I'm not complaining because it's first world problems and, and, yeah. and seriously like people have had the, the pandemic period far worse than yeah you know I, I have personally um, or, or indeed perhaps we have have as a company but um, it will be nice to be able to travel again it will be nice to be able to get on a plane and um, see people that we've been able to see for a long time we've got family in Australia that we've now not seen since we left really so um, there's, there's certainly uh, there's, there's, there's that I'm looking forward to I'd really like some proper sunshine I'd really like a proper summer holiday but as I say you know I you know I've got I've got nothing to complain about I mean we've, we've had a, we've had a pretty good trot over the last few months you know on a sort of personal level but yeah, uh, yeah fr- friends and family cold glass of wine somewhere in the sunshine sounds really good to me yeah, travel and reconnecting. I'm very much here that and 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 and, and friends and family. Um, all, all, all to look forward to. All to look forward to. Well, we're on the cusp of it, aren't we? So the week that the UK, you know, sort of is through the next gate, um, with kind of one left to go, hopefully. So um, yeah, it's um, it's all positive, isn't it? Yeah, it's, well, it's interesting actually because this will this what it's the 18th of May today. This will be released first or second week of June. So even if we were to talk about it now, it, by the time this is released, I'm sure it, it will look different because it's just such an ever such an ever changing situation. It is. I mean, it really sort of like you know threw threw us off our game. And I sort of found I've got this sort of like cycle of how I've been processing it, which is you know when the sort of first bad news came in, it would really sort of kind of knock me for 24 hours, and then mm. having sort of slept on it, I'll kind of get accustomed to it and. Yeah, dust myself off and sort of you know carry on again. But uh, I'm hoping we don't get any more of those moments. Um, so it's been, it feels like it's been a long time. <laughs> it does. I also think people become very resilient to it, haven't they? From an effective. Yeah, I think I think lots of people have. Um, but the, the the return to the office is going to be good for our kind of sense of self, sense of mental health, all those kinds of things. I mean, it seems funny to sort of say you know, you know that we. We wanted to have more flexible working, and uh, n- n- again, we're still saying we want more flexible working. Don't want to be stuck at home the whole time. So, if we can find some middle ground on that, get to see our colleagues again, spend some time in person, problem solving, planning, strategizing, you know, building culture, that kind of stuff, but but also retain a bit of the flexibility that we've had that's that's come with working from home. Then, then work will be in a much better place than when I started working. Put it that way. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And as ever, balance balance is, is the answer. And when you're forced to learn new things, you, you realise, as in working completely remotely, you, you realise what you're capable of. And I think for, for most businesses, it's just identifying the bits that work best for them and best for everyone in, in the organisation. And through doing that, you, you find a much better, a much better future. So, yeah, I think in years to come, human tragedy and impact aside, I think that the shifts would have been been good for people in a work and life context. But um, I say that really mindfully because that's very, very connected to people who work in sectors like technology and in roles which can be done from home. So it's, you know, it's been indiscriminate, hasn't it, I guess, in terms of how it's affected people. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I, I agree with you. I mean, sort of talking from the perspective of, of our business and, you know, I've been really proud of, of kind of how the company has handled it. But yes, if you know, if you work in lots of other sectors, then it's been a whole different, whole different ball game. And I, I really feel for 
particularly for, for people who are sort of coming out of school or going into university and, and particularly for those people that have been in sectors like hospitality that have just been sort of shut for a year. I mean, just really, really hard to, um, to sort of deal with that. So let's say I, we, we've been fortunate, you know, we've been very fortunate. And um, as you say, it's kind of good to remember that all the time. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, one last one, which is a bit of a change of subject, but does Australia have a CAN equivalent? Are there big, big kind of tech meetups in, in, in across that region? Well, um, Mumbrella 360 is the sort of the big event. Um, so Tim Burrows, who, um, who effectively kind of runs Mumbrella, that's, Umbrella, his, yeah. um, that's his big annual event. Um, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's generally, genuinely sort of um, a world-class event. Um, they'll get lots of high-quality speakers out of... Um, places like the US and, and, and the UK. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's that's a really good, that's a really good get together. It's not unfortunately um, actually on the beach with a glass of rosé. It's in the middle of kind of Sydney, but, um, but it's a great event nonetheless. Yeah, and do you miss, do you miss being by the sea in Sydney? Oh, uh, I mean, I, I, I do miss the weather. I mean, I, this has been the, I, I gather this has been the wettest May on record. Oh, it's and, bloody uh, awful. I, 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 I do miss, I do miss a bit of that. I mean, Sydney's a, it's a very easy place to live in it's you know it's a very easy place to live in but you know London also has got you know great diversity and um it's been you know it's been sort of wonderful to come back from that perspective even if the last few months have been have been a little bit uh, have been a bit limited but now that kind of things are reopening um got a ticket to the Damien Hirst show before it shuts oh brilliant so um yeah sort of 30 30 years of um uh, Damien Hirst work so that's the kind of stuff that that you don't get to see in Sydney. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the benefits yeah. of being back in London. Yeah, his art's incredible. I'm a huge fan. All right. Well, thank you so much. That's great, Ed. Thank you. Um, look forward to seeing how it comes out. Cool. Thanks, mate. Hey, see you, mate. Bye. Take care. A big thank you to Ed and Matthew for this week's episode. If you want to find out more information about anything we discussed in today's episode, including links to InSkin's website, you can find these in the show notes or via our website. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time for another episode of Life in Digital. <laughs>